0: When you were young and your heart was an open book You used to say, Little let live You know you did,
1: you know you did, you know you did But if this ever-changing world better
0: we're living Makes you
1: give it a cry Come on, everybody, sing along with us. Here we go. Say live and let die. All right, folks, you're listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at DrewMarshall.ca, and we are live here in Southern Ontario on Joy 1250, and here's a little Paul McCartney with a great death song. Love the orchestral. Oh, yeah, the brass in the background. Or did you say the grass? Brass. Oh. He might have been with the grass, yeah. writing it. Totally tell that George Martin's all over that. An entire show on death. Our next guest, Peter Baldwin-Panagor, he's the author of Heaven is Beautiful, How Dying Taught Me That Death Is Just The Beginning. You know, the interesting thing about this interview is that um, this is part of our Harper Collins yes. uh, group of authors that we're, we're uh, talking about promoting. By the way, you can... Uh, yeah. You can uh, win this book. We're giving away a copy of Heaven Is Beautiful on the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page in partnership with HarperCollins, uh, HCC Faith Books. Anyway, this this uh, this book, this author, this uh, Peter was already scheduled, right? And I didn't connect the dots that the, oh yeah, October third, that's our death show. I thought, oh, we're, we got a HarperCollins author. Well, we have to do that anyway. What? <laughs> what are the odds? See, there is a God. Really? That's your proof? Sure. I'm going to go with Peter on this one. Peter Baldwin Panagor, author of Heaven is Beautiful, How Dying, Taught Me that Death is Just the Beginning. Uh, His website is Peter Panagor. First of all, Panagor, that is such a great name. Peter Panagor. Um, How many Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled pepper jokes did you have to put up with in your life, Peter? A a, a lot. Many. (laughs) Hundreds. Thousands. Millions. Um, So you died, eh? Wow. Yep. That's my opener. That's my opener. Who opens with a question like that? Uh. Oh, man. You're brilliant at this. Thank you. So good. Um, I want to get something clear. This is back in 1980, and you were what? 19, 18, something like that. 21, 21. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. So, first of all, I come at this with a skepticism, right? And I mean, I, this is going to sound horrible, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't really start off this way, but I'm already, I've already blown this interview anyway, Peter. Um, but uh, the the the, uh, the Burpo story. Right, the Todd Burpo, the kid who was uh, part of a you know uh, Jesus family, uh, yeah. and he yeah, yeah, died yeah. and saw Jesus and stuff. You know, yeah. I I put a lot of that down to, um, yeah, I guess um, not brainwashing, but you know, you you're you're if you grow up with a certain set of paradigms, those paradigms influence uh, these sorts of things. And I know that you uh, NDE people, uh, near death experience. You know, there's a group out there, support group for you guys. I know that you have this sort of feel or vibe when someone tells a story, whether it's legit or not. What percentage of near-death experience stories that are out there, NDE stories, what percentage of them do you just call BS on? What percentage do you just put your hand up and go, that's garbage, come on. What percentage? Well, a small percentage, because
0: most people don't claim it. That story that you just mentioned, when I was preparing this book... Part of my job was to read all these other books about near-death experience, but I didn't want to do that because I didn't want it to influence my thought of the story. I wanted my story to stand on its own let anybody else judge it for what it's worth without me having read a single other book on it, until I came across that book. And when I came across the, the critique of that book, something inside me said, not true. So I read that book, and my flag went up. This is BS. This is not. This kid, it didn't didn't happen to him. Um, we we, we kind of it's kind of like having Gator. We <laughs>
1: have Gator, but like that, okay? Yep, get um, it, totally get it. We, I mean, they don't. But.
0: We know we know when, when we meet one, and we know when we don't. Hmm. And so, the majority of the people, why would they claim this? Because it's kooky, you know. That's why I kept my mouth shut for twenty years because it's you know out of the norm. So a small percentage,
1: small percentage. Yeah. Um do you remember that exact moment? I guess what do you you pass out first? Is that what happens? You sort of I fell I fell asleep. Okay. I kept falling asleep out um yeah. So you were you were climbing, you were out in BC and uh you got stuck, you got cold, you fell asleep, you died. Is that an yeah. accurate summation? I know it doesn't sound glorious, but is that an accurate summation? That's close enough. I man, I have so many questions for you. So, the MDiv you got from Yale—there was some systematic theology, but this Christian mysticism was also part of what you studied, right? Well, that was really the reason I was there. I mean, systematic theology
0: was a, a, a benefit I discovered when I after I arrived. But my purpose in going was to read the ancient literature about the mystical experience of union to see if I could find if I was the only person who had such an experience uh, as I had, or if I could find literature that would reflect what I'd gone through and give me some language uh, and context to think about it and try to process it. That's that's what I discovered when I was there. I still read that literature. I'm still in the midst of that.
1: What kind of post-traumatic sort of syndrome would you have after... Dying, you know, this near-death experience. Oh. And by the way, I keep saying dying, but it was a near-death experience. Did you die or was it a near-death experience? Well, see, that's that's my quibble with the whole near-death experience
0: community because it wasn't near death. I've been near death before. I was drowned once when I was sick and some guy hauled me up. But that was, you know, near it. I died, you know, from where I was, from where I sit right now. I think our entire community is misnamed. Um, it's nothing near about it. When you cross over the thing itself. Um, but that was, what was your question again? I kind of got <laughs>
1: lost in that. Dude, I don't even know what my <laughs> questions are. Um, <laughs> no, but the mot- uh, so the post-traumatic, like, okay, if you went through oh, this right. really traumatic event, what's the residual effect of, of, of crossing over?
0: Well, uh, I can't tell the story, uh, without crying. It feels like, it feels like I'm rent open every single time I talk about it um, in depth and describe it, and it, I experience it again, and I feel um, pain. And so I, I think about post-traumatic stress disorder. It's funny you should bring that up because I've been thinking about it quite a bit lately because I've been telling the story a lot and I can't not cry. Um. So that's my answer. I. I it's hard to tell it. It was even harder to write this book. I. I went through 17 drafts, and you could ask wow. my wife, it, "Wow, it, it was awful." Hm
1: I'm, I'm, um, I'm interested in the stuttering thing that happened to you, because you started to yes. stutter after this, this, this event.
0: I did. I did, and I, 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 I hesitate in my speech, so I, I have two levels of stuttering as it is now. Uh, When I'm very anxious or um, under a lot of pressure, I I can't control my stutter so much. And I I verbally stutter most of the time, 90% of the time, I control it by stopping talking. I just stop and leave a lot of holes and pauses in my language. And now it seems that from my friend's point of view, and my family's point of view, that's just the way I am. And they all see that as an opportunity to jump in the conversation before I continue my sentence.
1: Um, I have friends who stutter, and I ask them straight up: Does it drive you nuts when people try to finish your sentence instead of letting you?
0: Oh yeah, and or or worse for me is that they try to push the conversation along without giving me a chance to finish my thought. Um, because from my my buddy Brian, who's actually mentioned in the book, um, he stopped at my house yesterday, and uh, so we could have a, a, a conversation and. He said when we first met back at Divinity School, he couldn't understand why I had so many pauses in my speech, and it wasn't actually until he read the book that he realized that I was um, probably stopping to stop my stutter. He he knew that I stuttered because I I, I didn't have it under complete control, um, but I did a lot of pausing back then. So I
1: I mask it now, mostly.
0: And the people who really know that I stutter are the people who are closest to me.
1: So... You almost became a monk, huh? yeah,
0: Trappist. Um, they're the folks in my my, my practice of uh, meditation and prayer contemplation. they're the folks who most accurately um, practice the mass i 've never seen the mass done like the monks do it where, where the divine presence becomes palatable and I was when I was in high school, I went to a Catholic high school, and um, my religion teacher in my senior year went to this particular monastery and for a retreat and came back and taught my class prayer and meditation. And um, I hooked right into it and began um, kind of a a drop-in situation at the monastery and became kind of a regular there um, over a couple of decades. And it was a place where I knew there were, and it's a men, I knew there were men who were practicing prayer in a deep way that Uh, the interior world was vaster than the exterior world, Hmm. and that some of them had progressed to the point in their spiritual life where they radiated the divine presence of God in a way that was real to me. I could see it and feel it. And so, it seemed to me to be a place to go to not so much retreat from the world, but to find my way back into God.
1: But then you've Discovered you weren't really into that whole celibacy thing? Well, that was the thing. You know, sex turns out to be really... Awesome? (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Exactly. And
0: necessary. And I never, you know, could figure out how I was going to live without sex. And so um, I decided to put off the monastery and apply to uh, graduate schools. And I applied to to Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. And I didn't get into Harvard, which was my first choice. And I got into Princeton and Yale and picked Yale because it was closer to home and I had a family history back there a long time ago. And um, it was a great choice. Hmm. It turned out that they allowed me, the dean of students who accepted me, I explained to her my my personal pursuit of the history of mysticism and contemplation in the West, and she allowed me to create independent studies to pursue this. There weren't very many courses at the university for this, um, but she, uh, Joan Forsberg is her name, uh, she allowed me to pursue this on my own.
1: Okay, I want to ask you some theological stuff in just a second, but folks, you're listening to The Drew Marshall Show. We're on the phone with Peter Baldwin. Panagor is the author of Heaven is Beautiful, How Dying Taught Me That Death Is Just the Beginning. We're actually giving away a copy of Heaven is Beautiful on The Drew Marshall Show Facebook page, so get there and see if you can get it. Theologically, uh, Peter, when you died, you experienced stuff that would suggest you you did cross over. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I hesitate mm-hmm. to even saying the phrase "crossing over" because it reminds me of that goofy television show. Um, yeah. But, but theologically, I don't I don't remember coming across a ton of scripture that would suggest that that was a reality. Because crossing over would mean. Um, Mm, how do I, yeah, it's just the the there's there's it seems to be a theological improbability. Did you you must I have know. wrestled with that right from the core, right at the be- very beginning? Yes, um, yes.
0: Uh, there's not a lot of scripture to support it, and I don't know what to say or do about that. I, I you know. I look at Lazarus. Um, I, I suffer for Lazarus. You know what happened to him? He gets out of the cave. Everybody cheers, and he goes off. And I think to myself, that poor guy he suffered alienation from this world like no he had no one to talk to about it jesus went off did his thing and 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 the poor guy was on his own trying to face coming back to this world that's the closest i can come I mean, the scriptures not a lot about it um but here's here's the thing true is that up until this point in my life i was a uh, part of the charismatic catholic movement i was going to prayer meetings I'd been slain in the spirit. I, people were speaking in tongues at these events I was going to, and I was a, I was a tr- a deep and uh, true believer uh, as I was still practicing meditation and um, and beginning my my deeper spiritual journey. And then this thing happened to me, and, and and this is the hardest thing for me to say. It was the hardest thing for me to put in the book, and the, and, and I, my publisher I was trying to argue with me, argue with me out of it. But it's the it's the truth. Is that when I came back, and this is true for all near-death experience people, I didn't have any faith, and I didn't have any more belief, and it, it, those two things they went away from me, and it wasn't a choice that I made. It was my experience of the divine uh, is that God is real to me, not I don't I don't believe anymore because God's more real to me than here this this finitude of illusion is the temporary place through which I'm passing as I'm awaiting my time to go back home again. And and most of me still feels as if it's over there. And part of me is here living in this world feeling alien. And I look at the scriptures and I I, I seek instead of the of the places where I that aren't there that talk about this. I seek instead the places that talk about those uh, people who had unitive experiences like uh, uh, Isaiah and Paul, uh, and we're, uh, it talks about in First John about um, you know, God is love. Those are, the, those are the scriptures I lean on because, you know, one of the reasons why so many people come back now, there's about a million of us, is because of medical technology.
1: Hold on, there's about a million who have come back from death? So I've read. I can't back that up with a
0: you know saying where I, where that is. But so I've read. Hmm. But that um, that makes perfect sense. Like you were saying with modern technology, you know, ER revival, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's a lot of people in my hometown. When I came out of the closet, um, we had a we had an event in my church. I was a, I was a, a pulpit pastor, sort of a community ombudsman for social work. Uh, and we had a huge embezzlement in my congregation that was a great suffering for the people. Uh lasted a long time. We finally found out what happened, and somebody came up to me after the church and said to me, so, um, pardon me, before church one day, I had my sermon in my hand. He said, so, Peter, you know, we want to know, how do you survive this? And I, I decided that day, that's the day I was going to finally come clean and tell everybody, my story, and um, tell them that I really didn't have faith. I didn't rely on my faith because God's real to me. And as a result, that week, six people in my town called me on the phone and said, at first in whispers, Oh my God, Peter, I, I was in the ER and, and they dragged me back. I was in the ambulance and they dragged me back. And I didn't want to come back. and And, and I began to have conversations with other people like me. Hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of us. There's a lot. And I think, if you don't mind me saying, I think that it's, 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 it's we need to speak up to let people know that God is love and God is real and that we get to go home again. And
1: all is well. Do you think that what you experienced was... Uh, Let's see, how do I say this? Was real or God allowed you to experience something that you thought was real?
0: I would say this place is not the real place, and that God is the real, and that heaven is the real.
1: No, but did you really really go to heaven, or did God simulate something in your cranium that made it feel like you were really going to heaven? Well, see, I, I see what you're saying, and I've been following
0: the studies, particularly out of Canada, about the God spot in the brain, and I, I don't, I can't tell you, Drew. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I, all I can, all I can say is that my experience was that I didn't have a body or a brain, um, and I, 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 could see in ten thousand directions and, and hear everything. I was like one big ear and one big eye, but I had no body and brain. And I don't, I know, I don't expect people to believe me. See, at first, I didn't tell the story. For a long, long time, because I thought people would think I was a kook, and that's why I kept my mouth shut. And I now am in a position where I'm not trying to convince anybody. Yeah, it's, no. not, up, it's not up to me.
1: You're, you can, I can totally tell that you, and that's why I really wanted to have you on the show. You, you lead with grace in all of this. Um, you, you don't have this sort of dogmatic uh, jerkism. About you,
0: uh, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, what now? You in the club? In your club, the NDE club? You guys? Yep. You know, you know the stories are true with other people because there's these common elements, common truths. Like, are they written yeah. down like an AA group?
0: Um, well, the more books that are written about it, yeah. There's more people who are writing about it, but really, it comes down to this. Um, it's a, it's a, a feeling. It's a descriptive, when people start talking about, um, I had no body, I had no self, I had no brain, God is love, God's presence was overwhelming, the truth, grace, love, hope, beauty were one thing. Um, Those sorts of things are heavy clues for me, but a lot of it is, I can feel it from people, I can see it in their eyes, I can feel it from their souls. And it's that's where it gets kind of weird, and uh, those are things we, in the years, tend not to talk about. Are the weird things that come with it? In the years, yeah, and we're we're uh, we're we're misnamed, as I said before. (laughs) um, We're a group. And if the tribe I didn't want to join. And if I didn't I'll tell you, people were like, Oh, what a great thing. What a blessing. And yeah, it's a blessing, but it's a curse. Yeah. And if I had if I had the choice, I would not have had this happen to me. If I I mean, if if I if I had known what was gonna happen that day, I would not have climbed because I have not been
1: myself ever since. And oh for ignorance and bliss of of not knowing. Seriously, that, you know, I mean, talk about coming out. I came out about five, six years ago uh, admitting to everybody that I'm no longer a, an evangelical certaintist. I'm now a red-letter agnostic theist, which melts people's brains trying to figure that out. Yep. I read about that about you, and I admired your courage. Well, but I mean, I'm I'm saying it's, um, the reaction from people is probably more interesting than than. What I'm actually going through, <laughs> I don't think that was—that's not <laughs> right, really what I wanted right. to say there. But anyway, okay. So listen, um, oh, just running out of time, man. I want to keep talking to you. So you being Mr. Mr. Maine guy, right? I mean, that's where, thats the capital of cognitive overkill, right? I mean, people live. In their brains in the Northeast. That's my interpretation with a wide painting, sure. with, a, painting with a wide brush. So you really need to lay low in your home turf because if you, if you they, your neighborhood finds out you're Mister NDE, they're going to banish you to California, man. <laughs> yeah, well, that was my fear. That was for real, my fear. And
0: um, and one of the reasons why I went to did school was to get some cred. I mean it wasn't yeah. just to do to to do the exploration, which was a huge part of it. But in reality the, the exploration isn't in the brain anyway, it's in the practice of prayer. Yeah. But um but in order to have some sort of credibility, I had to have some degreeism.
1: Man. Thank you for first of all, thank you for taking twenty what is it, I don't know, decades to write the thing. I totally get laying low with this. And, I, and it actually gives, you know, I, when I first read the story, I went, oh, this is like 1980. I'm like, come on, this is forever ago. What, all of a sudden, you decide to write a book. You know, I had that initial reaction. But as I thought more about it, I thought, oh, no, this actually gives you more street cred. For you to shut up this long about it, uh, that's that's good. Yeah. Uh, not that you need my approval or anything. I'm just saying I dig that. I get it. Well, I appreciate that. And if I don't know how much time we have left,
0: but so, so it was leaking out anyway. I mean, I was dealing with the dying in the morning, and that was always uh, a crazy eccentric in my ministry. I'd say stuff, and people would be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know, somebody's dying, and I'm like, it's okay. Just let them go. And and people don't want to let them go. So I have a long history of the people that I've dealt with who now understand why I was saying the things I said. And so even though I wasn't talking about it, it was coming out in other ways. And I keep hearing about that from people picking up the book now saying, oh, now I understand why you said what you said.
1: Hmm. Peter Baldwin Panagor author of heaven is beautiful how dying taught me that death is just the beginning man did that go quick peter thank you so much for your time the website is peterpanagor.com. check him out we're actually giving away a copy of heaven is beautiful on our facebook page the drew marshall show facebook page so check that as well thanks mate it was great to chat with you peter
0: it was great to talk to you it was a
1: pleasure drew and i appreciate you having me
0: on and it was a lot of fun all right
1: wow there's so much happening in my brain today Your fault is your show, bro. (laughs) It's your fault. Your fault, man. (laughs) Short break. Lots more. Stay with us.
0: When you see them, I'll be there. We had joy. We had fun. We had seasons. While climbing the world-famous Lower Weeping Wall in Banff National Park, Peter Panagor succumbed to extreme exhaustion and hypothermia and died. As the sun set on what was supposed to be a one-day climb, Peter was revived only minutes later, convinced that heaven is beautiful. Imagine a mix of heaven is for real and a twist of into thin air, and you'll have heaven is beautiful, a true account of the struggle between the fullness of heaven and what draws us back to earth. As much a wilderness thriller as a spiritual memoir, heaven is beautiful is both an adventure on earth and in heaven, but ultimately it's a journey of hope.